Make sure you're subscribed to Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. What if, as a parent, your child comes home from school and throws out a big term like, the teacher says that I am gender non-conforming and maybe even I'm not the boy that you think I am. Maybe I'm a girl or vice versa. Maybe I'm not the girl you think I am. Maybe I'm actually a boy. And the pressure is on from that teacher and maybe the administration of the school. And if you're unfortunate enough to run across a less than reputable psychiatrist or psychologist who says, yes, we need to start the transition process. What do you do under that kind of pressure? How do you deal with your own child under those circumstances? Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about parents and transgender ideology, Dr. Nancy Piercy. She's professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University, author of several books, including Love Thy Body and a forthcoming publication, The Toxic War on Masculinity. Dr. Piercy, welcome back. Thank you so much. Good to be here. What does gender non-conforming mean? Yeah, so it just means young children who act more like the opposite sex, according to our stereotypes. In other words, in my book, Love Thy Body, I tell an extended anecdote of a young boy I call Brandon. And from the time he was quite young, it was very obvious to people that he just wasn't a typical boy, that he was quiet and compliant and gentle and soft-spoken in ways that we stereotypically associate with girls. And in fact, studies have found that young children who are gender nonconforming are the most likely to end up non-heterosexual when they become adults. That is, they are the most likely to become either homosexual or transgender identifying. So that's why it's important for us to be able to recognize young children who don't quite fit the stereotypes and reach out to them and help them to realize that they're okay. You know, even though they feel a lot of pressure, they grew up feeling pressure, peer pressure and social pressure to be different, to fit the stereotypes. And so they are the ones who are most at risk for falling into either homosexual or transgender ideology. So why was Brandon's parents' insight, it's not you that are wrong, it's the stereotypes that are wrong? Why is that insight so important? Yes, I wrote an article for The Federalist that just told Brandon's story. Like I say, it's based on my book, Love Thy Body, but I was able to go into more detail in this recent article. And I wanted to help parents get some practical tips. In other words, a lot of us are trying to read up on homosexual ideology, transgender ideology. We're trying to get a handle on these social trends. We're trying to figure out what is a Christian perspective. But I thought what's kind of missing is just practical advice to parents. What do you do if your own child ends up falling into these categories? So Brandon was a young boy who was very gender nonconforming from a young age. Let me tell you, before he was even walking, when he was still crawling, his babysitter said to his mother, he's too good to be a boy, by which she meant he's sweet, quiet, and compliant, and the things that we stereotypically associate with girls. When he was in preschool, 
And his mother picked him up every day. He was playing with little, little girls, not the little boys. He didn't play with toy guns or trucks. He played with little animals and would act out complex social interactions. And he realized from a very young age that he was just not like other boys. And already in elementary school, he was coming to his parents weeping repeatedly because he said, well, I'll, I'll quote his exact words. He said, I feel like a girl. I'm interested in the things girls are. God should have made me a girl. Well, this is a very difficult thing for a parent to hear. And their hearts really go out to a child who's in such distress. It was clearly very difficult for him. And so, yes, uh, the line that you just quoted is one of their favorite lines. They kept telling Brandon, it's not you that's wrong. It's the stereotypes that are wrong. They wanted to free him from pressure to live up to the sort of John Wayne masculinity stereotypes. And they kept reassuring him that God may have gifted him for one of the caring professions, you know, a gentle, sensitive, relational boy. Now, he, that did not mean he's a girl. It may mean that God has gifted him to be a counselor, psychologist, healthcare worker, you know, some of the fields that require that kind of sensitivity. So it was not easy, I have to tell you. Brandon struggled mightily. And by his early teenage years, he was scouring the internet for information on sex reassignment surgery. I wrote the, the article and, and the book to help parents know how can they stand alongside their child who's having these struggles. And Brandon did eventually reconcile himself to his sex. He did not transition. People always ask me, well, well what did he do? You know, did he end up transitioning? And the answer is no. He did not. And so I wanted to give parents some tips on how to help your child not transition and to eventually become reconciled to the gender that God gave you. How does transgender ideology devalue the body? Yeah, I think that's one of the main points that we can help make with our children is we can help them to see that this is, you know, it's kids just all they think about is their own feelings. And so you have to kind of help them transcend just their feelings and look at this as an ideology, as a set of beliefs. And transgender activists argue explicitly that your gender has nothing to do with your biological sex. There's a BBC documentary called Transgender Kids and it says, at the heart of the debate is the idea that your mind can be at war with your body. And in that war, it's the mind that wins. Or an example, another it was another BBC video, in fact, that was aimed at teenagers. And it featured a, a young girl who called herself non-binary. And she said, point blank, your um, identity is not based on your body, which is just a living, this was her term, a living meat skeleton. Your body's just a meat skeleton. It's your feelings that count. So everywhere you turn, you'll find transgender activists denigrating the body, saying biology doesn't matter. In fact, you know, since I wrote a book, I had to read what the academics say. And as far as I know, there's so far only one book that's come out on an academic level defending transgenderism. It was a Princeton University professor. And what's interesting is she acknowledged that transgenderism involved self-alienation, self-estrangement. In other words, your feelings about yourself are estranged from your body. But then how did she resolve it? She resolved it in favor of your feelings. And she said, again, this is a point blank quote. She said, 
what the physical body tells us is nothing at all. It has no meaning. So this is at the core of what public schools are teaching young children today is your body has no meaning, that it's just a lump of flesh and blood and it gives you no clue to your identity. It gives you no moral message. It gives you no guidance in who you are. That's all a matter of subjective feelings. So as a result, one of the most important ways to contrast Christianity with transgender ideology is to say, no, 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 God made the body. It's right there in Genesis. God made male and female, and it's pre-fall. So it's what God pronounced very good. Your body is very good, and you are meant to take it as a sign of your true identity. You are meant to base your sense of self on your biology. You are meant to honor it and respect it and live in accord with it. How does that go along with the message that society is sending to gender nonconforming children? Yeah, well, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? I like to look at some of the phrases in scripture where it's very clear that we are meant to see ourselves as a psychophysical unity. You know, our mind and emotions are meant to be in harmony with our body. So this is especially in the Psalms. You have verses like, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you. In other words, what your soul feels is expressed in your flesh, your body. Or here's another one. Our soul has sunk down in the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Or keep my words in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. So again and again, the Bible treats the human being as a unity, mind and soul. And even though, of course, there is a distinction between body and spirit, there's not meant to be a split, a divide, a a war, to use that word from the BBC documentary. It's not meant to be a war between body and soul. In fact, in many ways, it's through our body that people know who we are. Our bodies are how we express love. It's our bodies how we express charity towards one another. So our bodies are meant to express our inner self. In a sense, it's the reflection of our inner life. What happens when, tragically, parents buy into transgender ideology? Yes, unfortunately, that is too common. And you see this, it's one way in which the transgender ideology is starting to divide the church. Some parents feel as if they have to go along with what their children are saying, which to me is somewhat strange in the sense that there's no other medical condition that young children are allowed to self-diagnose and parents are told they just have to go along with it. So it's very important for parents to find alternative sources of information. I know too many parents who've thought, oh, well, the answer is to go to a, a gender therapist. No, do not go to a gender therapist. In many places today, it is actually illegal. Municipalities have passed laws making it illegal to counsel young people in any way except instant affirmation. I know so many parents who's, who thought they were doing the right thing by taking their child to a therapist or a gender clinic. And the therapist spent 30 minutes with a child often and said, congratulations, you're really a boy or you're really a girl. And here's how you get testosterone. So many parents were disappointed that they were not supported in you know when they did have questions about it. 
the medical establishment has been pretty much totally overtaken by transgender ideology. So it's very difficult to search out alternatives. They do exist, but you have to find them. So what I would say to parents is don't give up. There are therapists out there who will help you, but don't go to just your typical look up in the yellow pages for a gender therapist because they will not be allowed to counsel your child. They'll lose their license if they counsel your child in any way except instant affirmation. The main thing I think I have found is many parents do have difficulty. They know that their child is not the opposite sex. They've known their child for 12 years, 15 years, whatever. They know their child better than anyone else. And so many of them go along with it only after being cowed by the culture, by the therapist, by the clinic, by the medical people they seek out. Even their closest friends often jump on them and criticize them. I'm on a, a private listserv of these parents, so I hear their personal stories all the time. And it's very, very tragic. Many of them do not want to go along with it, but feel pressured into it. So that's what I would say to parents. Don't let yourself be pressured into doing something that you yourself do not agree with. Why is it important for parents to use positive language when dealing with this issue? Oh, I'm so glad you raised that. I think that's my most important message because in the Christian world, we are known, well, in the outside world too, we are known in a sense for being negative, right? Our, the reputation of Christians is that they're judgmental and they're negative and that the message is just, it's a sin, it's wrong, it's against the Bible, and there's something wrong with you. And so one of the things I find the most difficult, even when talking to Christian audiences, you know, I get invited to speak at Christian colleges and seminaries and churches, and they find it difficult to get the mind around how to use positive language. And so the most practical tip to start with, the most important tip to start with is change your language. Start saying, respect your body, honor your body. Live in accord with who God made you to be. Let me give you a quick anecdote. So this was a girl who is a lesbian, lived for many years as a lesbian, and now is married and has two children, married to a man, you have to say that these days, and has two children. And she wrote an article in, in which she said, what changed? How did she come to change her sexual orientation? And she says, I came to trust that God had made me female for a reason. And I wanted to honor my body by living in accord with the creator's design. And I love that quote because she didn't say I was driven by guilt and shame. She's driven by the goal of I want to honor my body by living in accord with the creator's design. And there's another, and that's in my book, Love Thy Body, but I'll give you one more because it's come out more recently, so it's not in the book. This was a woman who did live as a transgender man for, for 10 years. She passed as a man, and then she started attending a Bible study and became a Christian. And the, the interesting thing about her story is that sanctification takes a while sometimes. So at first, she thought she could continue living as a man, and she said, I aspired to be a real man of God. And then one day when she was praying, she seemed to hear God say to her, you cannot love me and yet reject my creation. And she knew what that meant. She meant reject my body. I cannot say I love God, but reject the body that he's given me. 
And so I love these stories where people, you know, the typical view is you were driven by shame and guilt. Even I talked to a Christian uh, psychologist once, in fact, who ended up being gay affirming, quote unquote. That's the phrase that's often used. And he said, oh, these people are all driven by shame, guilt, and self-loathing. And I said, well, actually, <laughs> no. The examples I found are people who said, I, I wanted to respect my body, honor my body, live in accord with the creator's design. There's another story in my book. Again, it was a homosexual, former homosexual now. He said he was exclusively gay all of his life. He grew up in a gay-affirming family and attended a gay-affirming church. So in his case, he did not think there was anything wrong with homosexuality. And you ask, well, why did he change then? He's now married to a woman and has three kids. And he said the same thing. He said, I decided to take my identity, not from my feelings, because your feelings can change. And they often do. He said, I decided to take my identity from my body and to accept my body, and this is his words, as a good gift from God. And eventually my feelings started to follow suit. So there again, accepting my body as a good gift from God. That's the kind of language I would like to encourage Christians to use. And I tell you, that's the kind of language that will win hearts. Dr. Nancy Piercy is our guest, professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University and author of several books, including Love Thy Body and a forthcoming publication, The Toxic War on Masculinity. We're discussing parents and transgender ideology. We will get to being proactive as parents next. Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Have you ever wished you could see Ad Crucem's products before buying them? Well, you can. Come visit us at our workshop in Littleton, Colorado, and watch how we make our Christmas ornaments and print our icons. Check out the quality and fabric of our church banners, or choose some greeting cards, posters, or jewelry. 
Of course, if you can't make it to Colorado, we're always open online. For details and directions, visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about parents and transgender ideology with Dr. Nancy Pearson of Houston Christian University. Dr. Piercy, how can parents be proactive? Because as you pointed out, by the time parents maybe even know or are able to have a concern, their child has already had a conversation with a teacher or a counselor or found something on the internet, all of which is affirming transgender ideology. Exactly. Exactly. It's very important for parents to give kids an alternative. It's important to realize that there's two kinds of transgenderism. The story of Brandon is the more historically normative version. In other words, it typically, gender dysphoria typically starts at a very young age, and it's always been boys. Historically, it's been predominantly men. Back when it was called transsexualism, it was predominantly a male phenomenon. So today we have something quite different, and that is mostly girls and happening in adolescents and teens. In other words, girls who showed no signs of gender dysphoria when they were young seemed perfectly happy being girls and wearing girl clothes and so on. And for the first time, got exposed to transgender ideas either on the internet or at school. It used to be mostly the internet, but now I'm hearing more and more examples of kids picking up the idea from school, which is in some ways even more tragic because that's more mainstream. You know, the public schools are basically talking kids into the idea that they might be the opposite sex. And I don't know if you know this, but here's one of the main things that parents are facing these days is that the schools don't tell them. The schools will transition your son or daughter, use their new names, use new, their opposite sex pronouns, let them change clothes at school into the opposite sex clothing and not tell their parents. In fact, many schools have an explicit policy that we do not tell parents and that when the parents show up, they use the child's real name so that the parent doesn't know that at school, the child is using an opposite sex name that they made up. So all this is to say, but you are right. It's more likely, especially if this child is already a teenager. Like Brandon's parents knew from a very young age that he was going to have difficulty with his sexual identity. So they had a long time to work out their strategy. Today, often you don't have a long time because the kid has already been transitioned at school and you're up against something much tougher. The child has already been using opposite sex names and pronouns. So in that case, to tell you the truth, the most important thing is take them out of school. (laughs) Take them out of school. I have known many parents who had to do that. They took them out of the school. They found a Christian school or started homeschooling. I know many parents who, who, it sounds drastic, but that's the only way they could get their child free from the influence of the school. There was a news article that I clipped not too long ago, a mother who had four children and one of them was being tranced. That's become a verb now. One of them was being transed by the school. And she went to the school and talked to them and the school told her that she was transphobic and oppressive and a bigot, et cetera, et cetera. She took all four kids out of school and started homeschooling them. So these are major steps. 
But she rescued her kid. Within a few months, that daughter was no longer claiming a transgender identity and had, had begun you know, accepting her, her true biological identity. So yes, when your child has already gone pretty far into transitioning, parents need to take pretty strong steps a lot of times. You've got to get them away from the influence and help them to I've known people who took their kids' phones away, took the internet access away, pretty much had to isolate them for a while until they were able to defog their brain and start thinking clearly again. But again, and the most important thing is you come back repeatedly telling them, God made you this way. This is good. The way God made you is good. And if you're feeling that you might be the opposite sex because you're gender nonconforming, because you're a girl who's more of a tomboy, or you're a boy who's who's a more sensitive, gentle type, just keep telling them, what, you don't have to fit the stereotypes. You d- God made you the way you are. Yes, there's a bell curve, right? For almost every human trait, there's a bell curve. And so some people will be on the ends, and those people will have a more difficult time in life. And it's very important that parents tell them these are good traits. God has equipped you for some good calling, some good mission that he has for your life. So that positive message is the most important thing that parents need to keep pounding home with their kids. You've kind of come up to this here so far. How can parents protect their children from the social contagion aspect of transgender ideology? You had mentioned before that if you go back just several decades, transsexualism was largely a male phenomenon. Now, transgenderism is on fire among young women. Yes, it is. Well, another thing that parents need to do, of course, is educate themselves. Many parents have lived in a bit of a bubble, right? They have not really kept up on the trends that are affecting their children. I do think that we need to start by reinforcing for parents that this is their obligation. This is not optional. You need to get up to speed on what secular culture is teaching. You need to learn apologetics. You know, I, I teach apologetics at Houston Christian University. So of course, this is one of my deepest motivations is to help people learn how to argue against secular worldviews. But you have to start by knowing them. Christian parents need to teach themselves what it is that their kids are hearing in the public schools and on the internet and so on, social media. Secondly, there was a study, this is the first study ever done of these teenage girls who are suddenly, like you say, it's just exploding. Transgender ideology is exploding among teenagers. And they've even come up with a new name for it, rapid onset gender dysphoria, because it's clearly something quite different from the traditional form of gender dysphoria. So they had to find out a new name for it. Rapid onset, meaning you know you never had any signs of it when you were young, but now suddenly adolescents or teens, you're suddenly discovering, discovering, I put that kind of in quotes, that you really are the opposite sex. So there was a study done by by a professor at Brown University. Her name is Lisa Littman. And if you are a parent who's working through this, I I advise you to um, look her up, L-I-T-T-M-A-N. Lisa Littman, you can find her study online. And she found a couple things that were striking. One is the impact of the peer pressure. This was a study of parents, which is a one way to get started, right? Instead of uh, studying the children, they studied the parents and got reports on, you know, what are your children doing and what are they saying? Where are they coming up with these ideas? And the parents said, peer pressure. 
it often comes, the, the kid would sometimes, again, this, these were all girls, so I should say the girls in this study were usually coming up with the idea that they were the opposite sex after binging on the internet for a while. Some of them, it was at school. And almost always they had at least one friend. So that's the peer pressure. And often, and but here's what was really striking, often entire peer groups were coming out at the same time. Now really, whole peer groups are discovering their true authentic identity all at the same time. Clearly there's social pressure or social contagion as it's sometimes called. But the other thing she found, Lisa Littman found, which was striking was that 63% of the girls who were coming out as transgender had been previously diagnosed with at least one mental health issue. And I stress the word diagnosed because a lot of teens have some anxiety and depression, especially after the pandemic. But these were kids whose issues were severe enough that their parents had already taken them to a therapist and received a diagnosis. And so the most common diagnoses were things like, well, anxiety and depression, but also OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, self-harming, like cutting, and autism. And in fact, autism was the most reliably correlated. Nobody knows quite why, but autism is very common among kids who come out as transgender. And by the way, that was true too in the past when it was called transsexualism. It was very common for these people to be suffering from autism, to be on the autism spectrum. At any rate, what does that mean? What that means, if you have a child, especially rapid onset gender dysphoria, you need to know that they are probably suffering from other mental health issues. These are very fragile kids. They need a lot of love and support. And detransitioners, that's a term not everybody knows yet, but detransitioners are people who transitioned to the opposite sex, socially, sometimes medically as well, taking the opposite sex hormones, um, sometimes having surgery, double mastectomies, for example, and then decided that they made a terrible mistake. And so there's growing numbers of people, both male and female, who are detransitioning today. And one of the most common things they say is, I had terrible social and psychological issues. Nobody dealt with them. I was just instantly ushered into, oh, yes, you must be the opposite sex here. Here's your opposite sex hormones. And as a detransition, they're frequently saying, the therapist should have dealt with my psychological issues first. I clearly had a lot of psychological issues. They were very evident. And if I had had somebody help me with those, I probably would not have transitioned. So that's another thing that parents can be aware of is often there are underlying psychological issues and don't deal just with their claim. You know, if you have a child who's saying, I'm really the opposite of sex, don't deal just with that. Look at some of the underlying psychological issues that they may be struggling with. And that can be actually a better avenue into helping them. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. We're talking with Dr. Nancy Piercy about parents and transgender ideology. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is this Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st. You'll find numerous Life Week resources at lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. 
On the other side, there are some in the lesbian, gay, and bisexual community who are rejecting transgender ideology. We'll find out why. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools. Where Christianity meets culture, you're listening to Issues Etc. Since 1973, pro-life advocates have been gathering annually in Washington, D.C. to march for unborn life. And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, this movement has taken on new direction and new focus. To learn more, pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, titled Life After Roe, and learn more about what the pro-life movement is now doing to stand up for life. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7, lutheranpublicradio.org. Back, I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about parents and transgender ideology with Dr. Nancy Piercy of Houston Christian University. Dr. Piercy, are you encouraged by the fact that some in the lesbian, gay, and bisexual community, they want nothing to do with transgender ideology, and their reasoning is quite simple. Their sexual orientation is defined by the sexual binary. Yes, I'm actually part of a group it's called Hands Across the Aisle, if you want to look it up. It's a Facebook group, but they also have a private group so that we can talk behind the scenes as well. But it's a group of conservative and often Christian women who have teamed up with very, very secular, leftist, socialist, lesbian women. And we are working together just on the trans issue. We are working together in terms of writing op-eds together and crafting strategies. Uh, several of our people have spoken at Senate hearings, for example. 
And the lesbians from our group, <laughs> they love to get them and put them out in front because it helps to show this is not just some conservative issue, that we do have a lot of people who are on, on the left who are very concerned about this. And women, feminists and lesbians in particular, actually their main argument is the transgender uh, laws are erasing women. In other words, have you noticed how you can't say women in a lot of contexts now. You can't say you can't say a pregnant woman. You have to say a pregnant person, and you can't say a woman. You have to have someone with a vagina, or you know, the, this is the language that's being used in the public arena now. Laws and policies, and even things like the midwives of America, have stopped using the word woman when they talk about pregnant mothers. They talk about pregnant persons, pregnant individuals. So it is erasing women. Women are 50% of the population. So that's a lot bigger than just, you know, denying gay people their identity. It's erasing women altogether. And so unfortunately, most feminists have gone along with the transgender ideology, but the ones who oppose it, I, I'm sure you've heard the term, they're being denounced as TERFs. T-E-R-F is, is a slur. And it means transgender exclusionary radical feminist, T-E-R-F. So feminists who stand up against transgenderism are called TERFs, but their main argument is, look, you can't have women's rights unless you can identify what a woman is. You, know, you cannot protect a group of people if you cannot identify that category of people. So that's very broad. It's a, a much broader problem. And I agree with them totally. You remember we had a Supreme Court justice nominee who was who couldn't identify the word woman when she was asked. If you can't identify women in the law, you have just totally undermined all women's rights. So it's a very serious issue. And yes, there are a lot of feminists who are getting on board now because they recognize that this is extremely damaging to the very notion of women's rights altogether. It's especially troubling in Britain, there's some kind of a shortlist in the government where they, uh, it, it was intended to highlight women so that when you had a, an opening in the government, you had a, a list of names of women who would be qualified for government positions. Well, a few years ago, a president was brought in who was transgender. In other words, he was a biological male. He has now made the entire list transgender people. So now if you want a short list for women in government, they're all trans males. They're transgender women, quote unquote, which means that they are biological males. So in so many cases and sports, as you know, sports in other areas, various things that were women's spaces, rape shelters, hospital wards, prisons, a male who identifies as a woman is being allowed to, to enter into women's spaces. So this is why feminists are finally getting upset about it is because they realize that a lot of things that were women's spaces or women's protections are being destroyed by the transgender movement. Finally, if you would tell us about your forthcoming book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad you asked. So it's coming out at the end of June. And I'll tell you what gave me the idea of writing this book. What gave me the idea is that I found out that sociologists have been studying conservative Christians, in part because conservative Christians are being attacked so much in the media, and especially Christian men, right? It's, Christian men are, are thought to be like the ultimate in patriarchal op oppressive males. 
um, the ultimate symbol of toxicity. And so there have been sociologists, and not all of them Christian even, who said, well, let's look at what the data really show. And so there have been at least a dozen sociological studies done of conservative Christian men. And the largest one is actually in a book. So this is quite extensive research. And what they found was this. They found that conservative Christian men who attend church regularly are the most loving to their wives, the most engaged with their children, have the lowest rates of divorce, and the lowest rates of domestic violence of any group in America. And you say, whoa, wait a minute. Haven't we even heard in Christian circles that Christians divorce at the same rate as non-Christians? You know, we, we hear that from Christian leaders a lot because I, I think they're trying to tell us, you know, do better. <laughs> but when they went back to the data, what they did is they divided out conservative church-going Christian men, in other words, those who are really committed and devout, from nominal Christian men. Because in America, certainly, there are a lot of men who might check a box saying Baptist or Lutheran because of their background, right? because of their family, their ethnic background. I was raised Lutheran because I'm Scandinavian. My grandfather came from Sweden on my dad's side, and my great Great grandparents came from Norway on my mom's side, so I'm pure Scandinavian. At any rate, so they they found that there in America at least there are a lot of nominal Christian men, and when they studied the nominal Christian men, the differences were absolutely stunning. Nominal Christian men are the least loving toward their wives. They test out lower than secular men. They are the least engaged with their children. They have the highest rates of divorce. And the real stunner, they have the highest rates of domestic violence, even higher than secular men. So any statistic that combines these two groups, conservative, church-going, devout Christian men with nominal Christian men, is going to be extremely misleading because active church-going Christian men test out much higher you know, than the average secular man, but nominal Christian men test out lower than secular men. So this is really something the Christian church needs to be aware of because on the one hand, we can be very supportive and encouraging to men who are active churchgoers. We can say, hey, you know, all that stuff you hear about a toxicity, all the attacks on masculinity that you hear in the secular culture, they don't apply to Christian men. Christian men actually are doing better. They go to church and they, where they hear messages about the importance of marriage. They hear that marriage is not just an evolutionary adaptation, you know, that the human race has developed. Uh, they hear that God holds them accountable for being good husbands and fathers. So they hear these messages and it's actually working. You know, they are more committed. And the church also has to know that around the fringes of the Christian church are the nominal Christian men. And we bear some responsibility for them because they do pick up from Christian rhetoric. They do hear words like headship and submission, but because they're nominal, they run those ideas through a lens 
taken from the secular culture that defines masculinity often in terms of dominance and control. And so they are defining headship and submission in secular terms, but they're using Christian language. And so people think, oh, look, you know, look how terrible Christian men are because, because they are seeing nominals who are misusing scripture. We have to be very careful to let people know that this is not an accurate use of scripture. It's a twisting of scripture. But I would say that this kind of uh, background knowledge is really important for the Christian church on knowing how to address men, how to run the men's ministries, how to reach out to those nominals, and why it's so important that we reach out to the nominal Christians and help them to understand what the Bible really teaches about masculinity and about the male role. Of what does headship mean? You know, what does Ephesians 5 say about headship and loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Dr. Nancy Piercy is professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University. She's author of several books, including Love Thy Body and the forthcoming publication, The Toxic War on Masculinity. You'll find links to these books at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Piercy, thank you. Thank you so much. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Chris Rosebro about Word Faith teacher Ken Copeland getting a pacemaker. We'll discuss how congregations can support new mothers and fathers with Katie Feeney. And we'll find out why Delano Squire says pro-family conservatives must first be pro-men. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You're invited to a special life service Sunday afternoon at 3 on January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Pastor Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life, will be the guest preacher. What does Jesus have to do with life issues? Find out at a life service Sunday afternoon at 3, January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Learn more at sidadvocatesforlife.com. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant, Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Herod's perplexity, feeding of the 5,000, Peter's confession, take up your cross, and transfiguration. Join me. Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. 
College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.